This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey, everybody. Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles On The Beat. And man, do we have a lot to talk about. How about the NFL Draft and the Georgia Bulldogs? I'm, uh, I'm retweeting the show right now so that uh, we can get a lot of folks out there watching it. And if you've got this on your Facebook, you might want to share it. Or if you're watching on Twitter, give it a retweet so people know that they can watch tonight's show because I think it's a really important show. Uh, A lot has dawned on me over the last week as I've reflected on what I witnessed at the University of Georgia with the football program this year. I know for many fans, the season ended with the national championship win over Alabama, 33-18. to But for the beat writers and really for the players – The season wasn't over yet. There was that NFL evaluation period, and it was very important for many of these players. It was also important for the future of the Georgia Bulldogs football program. As important as the national championship is and was to the brand, believe it or not, the NFL draft is even more important to the future of the program as it affects recruiting. Players come to Georgia, yes, to win a national championship, but really to major in football. And to get to the next level, at least that's the sort of elite players that George has been recruiting under Kirby Smart's direction. We saw it last year when they set a new program record with nine guys drafted. This year, they shattered that record. 15, which was also a college football record. Modern era. Okay, what does modern era mean, right? Everybody's that leather helmet. No, no. 1994, the NFL went to a seven-round draft. Prior to that, it was 17 rounds, okay? So in 1984, Texas had 17 guys in 17 rounds. Obviously not as impressive as 15 guys in seven rounds or even 14 guys in seven rounds, as we saw the Ohio State do in 2004, as well as LSU in 2020. So Georgia breaks this record. I went digging pretty deep, and I found an interview that I did with Kirby Smart. Actually, a lot of people did it. It was in Destin, Florida. And this is an interview from May of 2018 when Kirby Smart was asked, Coach, how do you get over the back-breaking second and 26th play? Think about that. Wherever you were, and I think all of you remember where you were at when second and 26 happened with Tua, right? Put yourself in Kirby Smart's shoes. Number one, you bleed red and black. You're a bulldog yourself. It had to be just heartbreaking and emotionally shattering. But listen to what Kirby said about how you get over that. And to me, this is the key to what we saw happen this year with the national championship season and the NFL draft. And so what happened as a result of that? Everybody remember? Kirby and his football staff went out and recruited the number one signing class in the country. It derailed an Alabama streak of seven straight years with the number one class per the 24-7 sports composite. Kirby Smart, day after the national title game, tells his staff, guys, we're hitting the road. We're hitting it hard. we got to finish this class up. We're talking about getting guys like Jordan Davis, 
Channing Tindell, Quay Walker. I mean, they had to finish that class. These young men that Kirby went out and recruited in the immediate aftermath of the shattering defeat to Alabama were who proved to be the difference for Georgia to win a national title and to set an NFL draft record. And think about this. What if, what if Justin Fields hadn't transferred out of the 2018 class? Cade Mays hadn't transferred out of the 2018 class. Brenton Cox, how different would his future have been? All these guys would have had national championship rings had they stuck around. We can keep playing the what if game, by the way. Everybody's asking me, Mike, can you believe they had 15 guys drafted? I said, yeah, they could have had more. Adam Anderson, off the field issue, would have been drafted. JT Daniels stays healthy, would have maintained the starting job, would have been drafted. West Virginia transfer, Tyke Smith, had he not missed time, would have been drafted. Oh, yeah, and Jermaine Johnson. What if he'd stuck around? He's the ACC player of the year at Florida State, would have been drafted. So think about that. Kirby Smart has built arguably the most dynamic, talented roster in recent college football history. Why? The secret? Because of that resiliency that he talks about. Because that insatiable hunger that I tell you guys about. When you see Kirby fiery in press conferences, and, and Michael Carvel, my producer, has a clip. And Michael, I don't know when you want to play that. Now, if you've got that clip, go ahead and play it. it. Just how competitive he is. He's such a combative guy. You got that clip, Michael? Not hearing the clip. So maybe we'll hit that clip a little bit later in the show. But Kirby is a combative, fiery competitor 24-7. It's, it's who he is. You, you can't change it. I've had people say, oh, I just wish Kirby wasn't. Well, if you changed it, then he wouldn't be Kirby. Okay? So that determination, that hunger to win is what made the difference in the days after Georgia lost the national championship to Alabama on second and 26. Jeff Centel said it best, Centel Centel. Bama won the game, Georgia won the war. Georgia got the recruiting class, Georgia got the momentum. And how important is that momentum right now that we're looking at NIL, that we're looking at one-time transfer, that we're on the brink of the game changing forever? You want to have momentum so that you start out, whatever these new rules, whatever this new world is, Georgia will start out on top of it because of this national championship. They did it the old school way to win that national title, but they're positioned better than anybody else as we look to this new era of college football with NIL, player stealing, swapping, whatever you want to call it. Hadn't been a good offseason for the dogs in that respect. They've lost a lot more than they've gained. Could be a tribute to all the young talent on the roster. Uh, Caleb Williams, the transfer that went to USC, that's the quarterback. That's really the only guy the dogs chased that heavily in the portal was that quarterback that went from Oklahoma to USC. That's who they wanted to have on board for next year. Didn't work out. USC won the bid. I think the kid was always going to go there to follow Lincoln Riley, his former coach at Oklahoma. It makes sense. So George is in great position. Now, I did seven spots today. I did seven interviews around the country about the Georgia Bulldogs, okay? And some of them I do every Monday. Every Monday, you hear me on 92.9, uh, the game in Atlanta on Monday mornings at 8 o'clock. I do the ref in Athens around 8.30. Um, that's a Monday morning staple. But I had a call from Buffalo. They wanted to know about James Cook. And I had a call from Pittsburgh. They wanted to know about George Pickens. 
Paul Feinbaum wanted me on the show. No problem. And then the SEC Network wanted me on SiriusXM Radio with my buddies Jacob Hester and Cole, Hester, Cole uh, Kublik. Done radio with those guys for years. So no problem talking about all that. But that doggone Feinbaum, let me tell you what they do. They take this little clip of thing that you say. You know, I'll talk to him for 15 minutes and he'll find this one little text where I said it would be a miraculous season if Georgia were to win the SEC East. I did say that. But I said that within the context of winning it after losing 15 players to the NFL draft. That's miraculous. No one's ever lost that many players off a team to an, to an NFL draft. Think about it. Never happened before. And yet Kirby is plugging guys back in, and they're going to try to make a run for it. The SEC East is going to be better. Okay, Hendon Hooker is really good, the Tennessee quarterback. He's back. The Kentucky quarterback, Will Levis, he's back. He got a free pickup truck, by the way. The basketball players there get Porsches. The football players get pickup trucks. It's Kentucky, right? I think Florida, you know, with Richardson, um, I I think he's a dynamic athlete. I think he'll be that much better once uh, they shrink the offense down a little bit. I I think Florida will be better. I'm not going to say I think they're going to be great. I'm not thinking they're going to be the same threat that Tennessee and Kentucky will. And South Carolina is a little bit of a wild card. You know, Spencer Rattler was the Heisman Trophy favorite going into last season. So I don't think these games are going to be the pushovers they were last year. And and I'm not going to pick one game that this team's going to upset Georgia this one. I'm just saying sooner or later you play a team that gets up for you. And we kind of saw that other years. Kirby's had that loss where you just go, oh, there was that one game, right? I think there could be that one game. And one of the things that scares me a little bit about this schedule, and I did say scares me because this is some of the most uh, nightmarish misfortune I've ever seen on a college football schedule. The last team that Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs want to play is the Oregon Ducks. And it's not that Oregon is this big, bad West Coast powerhouse. It's that Dan Lanning knows every inch, every crook in this Georgia offense and defense. And everybody that plays Georgia will want that Oregon tape. And they will go over it with a microscope because they're going to want to see the blueprint for how you slow down this very efficient Todd Muckin offense and how you attack a Kirby Smart defense. And that's what Dan Lanning and the Oregon Ducks are going to try to do. They're going to try to win that game. Now, granted, everyone's personnel is different. Not everyone has a Bo Nix at quarterback or maybe some of the other stars that Oregon has in different places. It is, after all, a game of matchups. But teams will be able to see some concepts and how Dan Lanning approaches Georgia football that they will be able to put in their tool belt or toolbox, however you want to make that reference. So that is not good for Georgia. That is going to help other teams down the line. All that said, I still think Georgia is going to be there. All I'm saying is this. If and when Georgia gets to the SEC championship game, folks, call it miraculous. Give your coach some credit. Give a young team credit. It's not easy to lose 15 players and 14 out of your 18 game captains. Okay, and come back and win the division again. That's miraculous to do that. That's amazing. You don't see other teams doing that. LSU, when they lost 14 players, they went five and five the next year. They went six and seven last year. Oh, well, they didn't have. Oh, they did have talent. They had seven guys drafted in 2020. They had 10 guys drafted this year. But when you lose your leadership and when you lose the 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 tenor and the tone of your locker room. And listen, at George, it's not just 15 players. You lost transfers. 
JT Daniels was the offensive leader last year in the locker room. Kirby Smart said it raises the bar for, you know, uh, Jalen Kimber would have started. Okay. Uh, Amir Speed, I don't know if he starts again, but he started last year. You know, you lost some dudes in the portal that can play, right? Kid out of uh, Atlanta, big receiver, you know, at Mississippi State, you know, Robinson. You know, you lost some players, transfers, and you lost 40%. 40% of your coaching staff is gone. You lost four coaches. Dan Lanning is gone. Adai, gone to Miami, right? Cortez Hankton, gone to LSU. Matt Luke, back at the house. You lost four guys. So this is a lot of turnover. Now, I'm not saying Georgia's not going to win these because I think they will. I do. But when they do, let's call it what it is, miraculous, to lose 15, to have a program that has reached a point where you can lose 15 guys and 40% of your on-field coaching staff and still win the East, an improved East division. The East is going to be better this year, okay? It's, it's not going to be chump change. So I want to be very clear when I make that point on exactly what I meant. So all of you can go to Twitter at Mike Griffith 32 and take down all these fools that don't understand what a great job Kirby smart did uh, or Kirby smart has ahead of them. Okay. Last year. And I brought this point up too. think about this. How many teams, how many teams in the nation, how many, let me rephrase that. How many national championship teams do you know that changed their offense 180 degrees midseason? Do you realize that Georgia, Georgia went from five wide and 35 points in one quarter against Vanderbilt on nine of 10 passing for 128 yards, okay, to 37 points in four quarters on 11 passes with Stetson Bennett, okay? 10 passes in one quarter against Vanderbilt and 35 points, four or five wide, Air raid offense with JT. Next game, 11 passes with Stetson Bennett. Run heavy offense, 37 points in four quarters. That is a complete flip. Okay, now as the season progressed, Stetson did more and more in terms of throwing the football uh, with very efficient results. Okay, play action, uh, shot plays deep. Stetson throws a nice deep ball. Stetson with a good seam ball. He had a very nice connection with Brock Bowers. Uh, I thought the backs did a great job out of the backfield. But my point is this, how different did that offense look with Stetson Bennett than it did JT Daniels? To be able to change your offense almost completely around midseason was remarkable. I'm going to tell you a secret. I think the only reason Kirby Smart didn't win more National Coach of the Year awards is because he's kind of bitter towards the media. I believe that. I really do. I don't think that's fair. I would have voted for him. But some people see Kirby on the outside. He's kind of rude sometimes. He can be abrasive. I think that costs you, right? I think it costs Bill Snyder, okay? I don't think Nick Saban's really has been anybody's favorite until he's just won so many championships. You don't have a choice, right? So I think Kirby could help himself out in that area. But again, as I said, Kirby wouldn't be Kirby. It's got to be organic. It's got to come from the heart. I don't want to put on Kirby Smart. I don't want to water down Kirby Smart. I like having a combative coach that comes at me. That's a good challenge. I enjoy that. You want to mix it up, Kirby? I'm going to ask you some good questions. You're going to try to look me dumb, make me look dumb sometimes. That's fine. That's your game. I'm hitting a little too close to the nerve sending when that happens. I understand, right? 
I enjoy a good press conference. Kirby Smart is a very entertaining press conference. He'll say some things now. Oh, he will say some things. And he is legit, all right? Whether he's calculated or not, I think he is. But I think he's legit. I think he's fun. Uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy covering Kirby Smart press conferences. And I enjoyed covering Georgia football. I really, I really have enjoyed it. Um, so with that said, I want to move forward now and talk about the NFL draft and just kind of share my feelings and thoughts about each one of the guys that were picked. I'm going to start out with Trayvon Walker. I'm going to start out at the top. Okay. Start out with the top. The number one pick in the draft, Trayvon. Who saw that coming? Who's don't, don't lie. You didn't. You did not see it coming. Okay. You did not. Trayvon was 11th on the team in tackles. He had six sacks. He didn't win any awards. Jordan Davis won the Benaric and the Lombardi. Nicobe Dean won the Butkus. What, what did Trayvon Walker win? I, I don't even know. I, I mean, did he win any team awards at the banquet? I mean, he, but he's the most important draft pick of Kirby Smart's career. He is the most important draft pick of Kirby Smart's career. And not just because he was number one. No. Because Kirby can now look these players in the eyes. And say, listen, I know you want to start as a freshman. I know you want to start as a sophomore. But we had a guy named Trayvon Walker here, and he didn't start till his third year. And he was the number one draft pick. He can say to those guys, look, I know you want me to turn you loose so you can put up big sack numbers. I know that. I know you want to be in our third down package. I know you want me to send you and you don't have all these uh, you know, gap responsibilities and gap integrity. I know you want to put up the big numbers, man, but you got to trust me. If you play in the system and if you do your job, that's all you got to do. NFL teams are going to notice. Oh, but coach, hey, look, Trayvon Walker, right? 36 tackles. That's it. 11th on the team with 36 tackles. Number one pick. Why? Because he did his job. Do your job, right? And when you produce 15 draft picks and five defensive players in the first round, when Kirby Smart tells you that this is what it takes to make it to the NFL, he ain't selling a dream, folks. He's selling reality because we've seen it. You want to be a first-round pick and you play defense? Who are you going to play for? Tyke Smith tweeted out, they wondered why I left West Virginia. Five first-round picks on defense. Never happened before. Okay? So Kirby Smart having five picks on defense, having Trayvon Walker, you want buy-in? There's going to be some buy-in. You want to make it to the league, you come play for Kirby Smart. That is not a dream in the living room anymore. That's a reality. And it's a lot easier to sell reality than it is to sell a vision. That's why Trayvon Walker going number one was so important. Hope he does great. Four hours away from his hometown. His mom doesn't like to fly. She can drive to Jacksonville. This is a great story. His father was in Marines. Thank you for your service. And Trayvon Walker, thank you for being a good citizen and a great football player at the University of Georgia. He will now represent as Kirby Smart's first number one overall draft pick. Jordan Davis, look, we love this guy. He's the face of the program. He's the icon. When we think about 21 Georgia, we're going to think about Jordan Davis. That's the guy that's going to come to mind. And how fun was he in the black suit with the red stripe? I don't know if you saw the Jamaican red stripe beer throwing it out there. Hey, Jordan, if we get enough retweets, we're going to do something. They had like a silhouette of him. I mean, this is fun. He's doing subway commercials. This young man has worked so hard and has been such a great ambassador for the University of Georgia. He's a first ballot college football Hall of Famer. 
I'm not sure how he's going to do in the league. I think he's going to do pretty well. I do. I think he's going to be solid. I think he's got a huge ceiling. Will he reach it? We'll, we'll see. He needs to stay healthy. He needs to turn it up another notch. He's dynamic. You can't coach 6'6", 341 in a 4'7", I mean, that's just amazing. It's unprecedented. Uh, but the NFL is another level. And uh, Jordan's going to have turned up a notch. And, and I think he will. Okay. All these guys do. It's another level of football. It's better than the SEC. So uh, Quay Walker, you know, maybe a bit of a surprise for some, but it just goes to show you how much the NFL loves their metrics, right? 6'4", 241 with a 4'5", 240. You know, that's the same exact time that Nick Chubb and DeAndre Baker ran. Think about that. Quay Walker can move, right? He's prolific. He's got the prototypical size. In hindsight, of course, he went in the first round. Another one of those five stars that Kirby Smart brought in in the uh, aftermath of that disappointing loss to Alabama in 2018. Devontae Wyatt, he goes number one. Got to like to see that. Another defensive tackle. I personally watched Devontae race his stock from probably second, third round to first round with his performance at the Senior Bowl. He went in there and dominated Alabama defensive tackle Fedarian Mathis was rated ahead of Wyatt going into that game, going into that senior bowl week. But Wyatt went down there, and in those one-on-one drills, he proved it. And then the final pick, this is probably one of my favorites, Lewis Seen. I love this kid. I love Lewis Seen. I love his intellect. I love his story. Uh, you know, a kid that you know, spent a lot of his time growing up in Boston, moved to Texas, came here, kind of slid in late. And when one of the players opted out for the bowl game, put on about 15 pounds and has two of the wickedest hits that I've ever seen. The hit on Kyle Pitts, still to this day, one of the best college football hits I've ever seen. I know he got flagged for it and ejected, but listen, man, Pitts ducked in, ducked into him. There was nothing dirty about it. It was unfortunate for Lewis. I'm glad both teams got up and went on and had great careers. I'm going to take my halftime break right now, Michael Carvel. Uh, I think it's important uh, that we take time to recognize our sponsor, Ingles. You know, you talk about somebody that's been with us through it all. Um, I've enjoyed this sponsorship. I think it's been great. I love their association with Georgia football. I love the fact we can count on them to be here for us every Monday night, just like you can count on them to be there for you in the best of times and obviously the worst of times. We all remember the pandemic, those frontline workers that made sure you had everything you needed to conduct your life, to support your family. Yeah, that was Ingles. Let's take a moment and recognize our sponsor, Ingles, tonight. in our hearts to feel for you there's been ups and downs turnarounds good days and some bad but we stand together for worse and for better we'll always have your back open arms heart to heart hand in hand community pretty remarkable isn't it we, we have to take a halftime break because there's so many guys that were picked in the draft i mean there were 15 guys usually oh five guys seven guys we're done no we got 10 more to talk about we talked about the first round picks next guy george pickens right i went on pittsburgh radio today and they kept asking is he a bad guy there's questions about his character look george had a couple immature moments right the georgia tech guy again don't know why you play this stupid game but the georgia tech guy starts a fight with him and George punches back. You get him suspended for the first half of the SEC championship game with LSU. Swift got hurt in that Georgia Tech game. You, you really miss him the whole postseason. Uh, but point is, yeah, you know, he squirted a Tennessee guy with a water bottle on the sideline during the COVID year. Oh, boy, that was the worst thing ever, right? Uh, and then he gets in – he's in the wrong place, wrong time. Car accident. Look, no booze, no drugs in the car. Him and Kenny coming back from a team function. 
last Saturday night. This is look, this is no big deal in my book that, that what these guys were out. OK, it was late, but there's a team function and Kenny McIntosh is driving everybody home. You know, he just dropped off Rosemary Jack Saint. He's about to drop off George and he gets into this accident and, you know, unfortunately hits another car. He's going 16 or 40 and uh, and Pickens hits his head on the windshield. Right. Pickens lives nearby, starts to walk home, comes back to the scene. And it's, it's all in the police report. People are like, well, should we worry? Listen, the only you know, two dumb things here. OK, Kenny had a bit of a lead foot and he knows that. And they didn't wear the seatbelts. OK, yes, that's dumb. OK, the kids made a mistake. They made a mistake. And hopefully the person in the other car will be fine. I know she had a leg injury and, uh, you know, some chest pain. I think she was transported. Um, haven't heard any more on that. Uh, so that was unfortunate. But do you, do you punish Pickens for that? I mean, you know, I guess if people are looking for stuff, right? But I told the guys on Pittsburgh Radio, I said, look, Mike Tomlin was here for Georgia Pro Day, okay? He was here to watch George in person, to interview George in person, to talk to George's father, George Pickens Sr., and his mother, Dee Humes. They were both there to watch George. So Mike Tomlin did his own homework. He didn't need some scout telling him what to do. Or, or reading some scouting report. He can size up George Pickens for himself. And anybody that was at that pro day saw Pickens put on a show. I mean, he's unbelievable, right? I mean, he's a dynamic player. He's going to do great things. The only thing I said to those Pittsburgh guys, and I don't know, their audience didn't like it, but I said, look, you need a quarterback. Get this guy a quarterback. If he goes with Aaron Rodgers, he's the rookie of the year. Kenny Pickett, Mitch Trubisky, I mean, I, ain't, I don't see it. You know, you're talking about a seven, eight, nine win team. You know, if Pittsburgh wants to get back to Super Bowl, get your damn quarterback. That was exactly my words, quote unquote. Probably didn't like it, but you guys know, no filter. That's the way we do it here, right? That's the way we do it on this show. And and that's just the formula for success. It's the formula because I don't know any other way. I just speak my mind. I tell you the truth. I tell you how I really feel because that's just, you know, after covering college football, you know, going back to – Jeepers, I guess 1991, 92. I did Idaho State in the big sky before I did Auburn at 93, right? And then it's just been all SEC in, in four years in the Big Ten since. So I've seen enough football, talked to enough players, watched enough film, had enough you know chalk talks with coaches, got my tail chewed a few times by coaches, they explained things to me, Kirby among them. You know, it happens, right? But you learn and you move on. And it's kind of what makes you, I think, you know, one of the more, you know, um, uh, informed people for lack of a better word uh james cook to buffalo look i'm just i can't i, I can't help it here look i, I want to be rah-rah for everybody i just i could be way wrong here i don't like the south florida miami kid going to buffalo i, I know the bills are a championship team and you know he, he, they're fantastic and josh allen is unbelievable and they've got a nice running back rotation that james may slip into but I'm just not sure about James on, on frozen tundra of Buffalo. I'm just, I'd like to see him indoors somewhere on, on turf. He's like, kind of reminds me of Camara. I want to see him in a speed game. I'm not saying he can't be fast in Buffalo. And they play half their games on the road. I'm just not sure. That's all I'm going to say is I'm just not sure. I'm not as sold uh, on that as maybe some other people. Uh, Channing Tyndall. Miami, I love it. Love it. Love Channing. I think this guy has a huge ceiling of all the Georgia players selected. I think Channing has the biggest ceiling left because you know, the guy didn't even start a game. You don't even start a game at Georgia. You picked in third round. Wow. Yes. Channing, 42 vertical, 44740. Love this guy. You saw those angles that he took. That's crazy. The pursuit angles that Channing Tyndall took. 
unbelievable, explosive player. Like he got shot out of a cannon when he blitzed. Love this for the Miami Dolphins. Love, love this pick for the Miami Dolphins. Let's talk about Zamir White. You know, Zamir going in the fourth round, very happy for Zamir. I thought this was a little bit higher than I thought he would go, right? But the, the Raiders need a back, you know, did not exercise the option on Josh Jacobs. This is a really good situation for Zamir White. This is a really good. And you know what? This is really good for the Las Vegas Raid. Las Vegas Raiders. Doesn't that sound weird? Let me tell you why it's good. Because they've had some off-the-field stuff, right? Now, every team has a little off-the-field stuff. But they call it Sin City for a reason. And I love it that they're getting a good character guy like Zamir White. This is a guy you don't have to worry about doing anything crazy, driving excessive speeds, being in the wrong spot, okay? This is a, a soldier. This is a kid who, who works hard for his family. He's worked hard to get everything uh, that he's gotten, and I really hope he makes it. I really hope that he fits into this offense. Listen, even if he's not the starting running back or a guy that's you know going to get 10 carries a game, this is a guy that will play on every special teams unit and give you everything he has, and that's how you stay on a 52-man roster. When you go in as less than the number one, you got to play special teams. And we saw Zeus do it all year long, blocking punts, uh, different units. Uh, Kirby likes his guys to do this. He recognizes this, increases their value in the NFL. Not everybody goes in as a number one. So how do you make a roster? How do you make the bus, as they say? How do you get on the bus? By playing special teams. Zamir is a selfless guy who will put his team first. He is a good character guy. And I really like this pick. Uh for the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, a couple of other guys, uh, Justin Schaefer going to the Atlanta Falcons and Jamari Salyer going to LA Chargers. Listen, I would have never thought that Schaefer would be picked ahead of Jamari. Obviously, there's some concerns about some injuries. I think Jeff Santella is going to have some stories on that. Jeff was in Jamari Salyer's house, had a chance to visit with Jamari both days. There was a draft party. Andrew Thomas was there. Aziz Ajilari was there. Jeff Santel was there. And can't wait to read Jeff's account from inside of Jamari Salyer's, Jamari Salyer's house. He had a story up on draft day. He's going to do even more following up, talking about why he slid. Don't want to steal Jeff's thunder, but obviously there was some injury concerns with Jamari Salyer, and he gets shipped out to Los Angeles uh, Chargers with a six-round pick, which, you know, Jamari is such a classy guy and such a great leader. He will absolutely make the most of that. Schaefer, a guy, you know, of all the guys to break an 11-year streak, without the Falcons drafting a George guy. Who would have ever guessed Justin Schaefer? The best football could be ahead of this guy. It's going to be very important that Justin stays focused, okay? Justin had off-field incident before. Uh, I think he grew from that. I think he learned from that. But now he's going to have to really manage himself carefully. He's going to be near his hometown, and uh, he's going to have to stay focused. But this is a guy with a huge frame, a lot of power. He can absolutely maul you. I think he's going to learn some technique, and I think he's got a chance to be a longtime NFL veteran. I saw a lot of maturity and growth from Justin Schaefer this year. I think coming back another year really served him well. I'm not sure he would have been picked last year, so that was great for Justin that he came back. I skipped over Jake Camarda. I didn't mean to do that. I am really excited for Jake Camarda. I really am. You guys know I've been saying you know, all postseason – that he's the most underrated and underappreciated superstar on the team. I believe he was one of the five most important players on the Georgia football team this year. We just don't talk about punters enough. It's just not sexy, right? You write a story about a punter and everybody goes, oh, turn the page, you know. What, you know but listen, Jake, Jake is an interesting kid. Um, and the thing I suppose I like so much about him was watching the growth. 
I, I got to watch this guy grow up right in front of my eyes. And so did you. Remember some of those tough situations? He wasn't always at his best. The Notre Dame game, there was a shanked punt. The Florida game, um, there were other opportunities. Jake Cadbury just didn't seem to rise to the challenge as a clutch player. Last year was one of the best years for a punter in recent history. Against Clemson, I think four out of five punts might have been inside the 20. What, what like 80% of his punts weren't even returned, or excuse me, his kickoffs weren't even returned. Once again, at his best against Bama in the SEC championship game, in the national championship game, Camarda came up, you know, aces win the clutch. And it was a real key for this football team. Flip and field position, and you just take that for granted. You're at your own 20, you punt it away. Typically, the other team's going to start near midfield. Not with Jake Camarda. They're going to start at their own 20. So we saw Jake have an incredible year and, and, uh, and grow. And what a phenomenal athlete, by the way. A couple of years ago, we were at uh, Kirby's. Um, he does this camp. Slips my mind right now. Uh, it's just south of here where, you know, they have the, the cancer patients in remission and, and or healing. And his brother was once a cancer patient, Kirby's. So this, this charity means a lot. Hopefully they'll do that in person again this spring. Um, but the guys were lining up. They were dunking the ball, right? Jordan Davis dunking the ball. Uh, you know, I, I think Kenny Mack. And then Jake Camarda gets a basketball, and I'm going, oh, boy, this is Jake. This is going to be – no, no. Jake Camarda goes up, boom, stuffs it down. I'm going, whoa, the punter's got some hops, right? And then we watch the combine. He runs a four, what, six one forty? Really? Really? Jake Camarda faster than some of the receivers? Yeah, faster than Brian Harrion? Faster than Elijah Holyfield? Yeah, Jake Camarda. What an athlete, right? And so good for Jake Camarda going to the Tampa Bay Bucks. As I said, he just got to tell Tom Brady, hey, Tom, you're a Hall of Famer, but leave some air in those balls so I can get a lift on him. Sorry, I couldn't resist, couldn't resist. So that was exciting, right? And then Darian Kendrick, you know, here's a guy that rehabilitated his career at Georgia, had some issues at Clemson, off-field issues, got dismissed, had some domestic issues that led him to miss uh, some mandatory meetings. He didn't communicate clearly. He's out of there, right? Kirby takes him in. And Kendrick walks a straight line. Good soldier, Orange Bowl defensive MVP while he's in Athens. And now he's going to get a shot with the L.A. Rams and Matt Stafford. So you got to be excited for that. And then finally, the record breaker, John Fitzpatrick. You know, you love stories like Fitz out of Marist and that Atlanta area. I mean, the kid played all year, well, all but four games, with like a broken bone in his feet, left foot and right foot, right? Fifth metatarsal. I think it's called the Jones fracture. He played all year. You know how painful, right? How painful that must have been. Fitz knew he needed surgery, but he played the whole season anyway. Even though he knew it was going to prohibit him from going to the Senior Bowl, prohibit him from going to the Combine, but he still played and he got drafted. 15 guys. So that's pretty amazing. I want to turn the page and before I close it out here, talk a little bit about next year. I, I told you earlier why I think it's miraculous that, that you know Georgia uh, could win the SEC East next year, even after losing 15 players and 40% of their coaching staff. I think that's amazing. But you take a look at some of the top players and five guys are going to be ranked as potential first round picks next year. Right. Brock Bowers. No, excuse me, not Brock Bowers. Uh, uh, Eric Gilbert, uh, Broderick Jones, Jalen Carter, and Nolan Smith. Oh, that's four guys. So you got four potential first-round picks. There's still talent, right? It's just um, there's some inexperience, and the other thing is the leadership. And when I talk about leadership, I'm talking about, you know, pellet guns, 
uh, traffic deals. This, this shouldn't be happening. Okay. I know they're kids. I get it. They're going to make mistakes. But when you have a championship mindset, as last year's Georgia Bulldogs did, you hold one another accountable and you think about your actions. You think, you know what? I've got to be careful. I can't make, I can't do this. I can't be shooting a pellet gun at, at, on the two girls on a sidewalk and driving away. Because if I got caught, that would look bad for the whole program, not just me and my family, right? I can't be shooting out windows with a pellet gun. That's going to soil my family name. That's going to embarrass me. This is a stupid thing I'm about to do. I can't do this because I'm lucky to be at Georgia. And I don't want to do anything that would get me kicked out or get me in Coach Smart's doghouse, okay? That's how championship teams think. I better slow down. I'm in a construction zone. Geez, my license is expired. I'd better get it updated, Nolan Smith, because if I get pulled over and arrested, it'll be national headlines and I'll embarrass myself. And I'm not that kind of guy. And yet it happened. You know, you got to be careful. You got you. It's you said, well, what, what happens to everybody? Yeah, but these are Georgia football players. This is a special program. This is a championship program. And not everybody. Not everybody can beat these Bulldogs under Kirby Smart. It takes a lot to make it at Georgia. You got to have a, a you got to not just be talented, but you got to have a commitment level. And if you want to win a championship, you got to have a level of buy-in that translates from the practice field to the locker room to the classroom to your personal life. You're somebody here. You're somebody. And if you do if you do anything wrong, it's going to be news, and it's not going to reflect good on you. And you say, well, that's not fair, but that comes with it, right? You want to be on Broadway? You want to be a superstar? This is the level of accountability that comes with it. That's an awesome amount of responsibility for an 18, 19, 20-year-old. Granted, thank goodness, they didn't have cell phone cameras when I did stupid things. I certainly wasn't perfect. I'm not trying to be hypocritical here, right? But when you're at a program like Georgia, which is, I mean, it's, it's on top of the college football world. There's a different level of scrutiny that comes with it. You inherit that. That's part of the job. Yeah, you get fame. You know, people wave at you, pat you on the back. You get all the good stuff, you know, but there's also going to be a different level of accountability. It's part of the job. It's part of the DNA of being a Georgia football player is you constantly have to represent. And the head coach is going to hold you accountable because he's a Georgia Bulldog. And nobody cares more about that Georgia football image and the University of Georgia image than the Terry College graduate himself Mr. Former Academic All-SEC Kirby Smart. So the standards are high. You better measure up. And to me, that's the biggest concern is what happens in the offseason. Where's the leadership at? You had 18 game captains. 18. 18 different guys were game captains last year. Okay. You got four of those guys coming back. That is what you call a leadership vacuum. So it, it needs to happen organically. You can't just go, you're the leader, you're the leader, you're the leader. It doesn't work that way. Guys separate by showing their commitment, by holding one another accountable, by being consistent with their effort, that's what makes a leader, okay? And that evolves over time. Like I said, you can't just pick them out. It happens by who's always showing up first for the weight room, who's at the top of the chart, who's doing those extra gassers, who's getting it done in the classroom and is making all their classes, uh, you know, who's, who's uh, you know, picking the guy up next to them and, and uh, you know, Th those sort of things. And it's happening. We're in the process of it right now. Kirby Smart and his staff are learning who their leaders are. The identity of the team is currently uh, emerging, right, as we go. And we'll see in more in summer workouts. So I'll take a look now, see if any of you have any questions. 
Uh, and I can't see it on the screen. I got, oh, there we go, off to the side. Uh, Moose, Ta- Moose uh, Thames, appreciate the compliment. Uh, I see Sonia Prescott. Defense might not know where to go in the start of the season, but rest assured that they'll be going there very fast. Sonia, I agree, but I want to make a point with you. I was really – now, granted, the offense was vanilla in the spring game. It was very vanilla. But I was very impressed that we didn't see many breakdowns. We didn't see guys busting assignments. Um, I thought the defense was very disciplined. I mean, on the one hand, you could make a story out of none of the quarterbacks looking good with the first team. <clears throat> and it, and it, at the start, I did. That was my first thing I jumped up. Boy, you know, 14 to 34, two picks, not a great day for Stetson, right? Beck was only like one of four or five, and I don't think Vandergriff did that much either. But then I flipped it around. I said, well, wait, wait a minute. You know, how about we give the defense a little credit here? Because they didn't break assignment. They, you know, Keely Ringo had good coverage. You know, Jamon Dumas Johnson, he, he was doing his job. Jalen Carter and, you know, Kendall Milton had a, collision you know that you know looked like a meteor hitting a planet or something it was unbelievable i'm just glad they both got up and walked away good grief we don't ever need to see jalen carter and kendall milton hit each other again in the open field um that that was coaches let's be careful right so i was very very impressed um eric jackson do you think nicobe dean comes back if he slips to the third round no i I don't i mean i think nicobe accomplished everything he had to accomplish here um, you know, he won a national title and, and because of the, the same injuries that, that, you know, he wasn't going to get any taller. Okay. He's 5'11". Now he's going to be 5'11 next year. That was one of the reasons he dropped in the same injuries that he has now, uh, or has experienced. He doesn't have them now. I should say the same injuries that are on his medical chart that raised the red flag, the torn labrum the surgery, the, the pectoral muscle. Okay. He would have got even more hurt last next year. So go now cash in. Um, he's in a good spot. He's going to practice. He's going to be NFL rookie camp. I know what you're saying there, but you know, you got to look at, would he have gotten any better by coming back? I think the answer is no, he wouldn't have gotten any healthier. He wouldn't have been able to erase those things off his chart and he wouldn't have grown another inch. And those were the two reasons that he dropped. I see Harry says you have no doubt the D will play itself into top 10 or better defense. You know, maybe probably, you know, based on the history, here's the only thing I'd say though is last year's defense and offense kind of fed off one another. And I kind of feel like we're going to see more close games this year. I think it's easier to play defense when, when you're up by three or four touchdowns, right? And I don't know that this defense is going to be able to produce um, as many you know, game-changing plays, for lack of a better word. What's the word Kirby likes to talk about? Uh, chaos, right? Um, I, I don't know what those numbers are going to look like. I don't think you're as dynamic in your front seven. I think your secondary is better. But without that pass rush, I think you're going to have to ask your secondary to do more. So I think the defense will be very good. Um, I hesitate to say it'll be the best in the SEC, but I think it'll be one of the best three or four. So I will say that. What else do we have here? If Kirby wants to O to light up the scoreboard at will, they will choose a scheme before August. Uh, well, they have their scheme. I mean, you're, you're seeing it. It's, it's, it's a run game, and it's a play-action shot game. Off. What does that mean? Your shot, shot game. Take, just want to take a shot downfield, right? Play-action. You run the ball effectively. Run, 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 and then you fake the run. The safeties come up, and pew, you got one-on-one coverage on the outside. Instead, put that, puts that air under it, throws that arc. Uh, we saw A.D. Uh, Mitchell catch that ball in the end zone on that 40-yarder national title game. You're taking that shot downfield. 
or you leak the backs out of the backfield, right? You see a Kenny McIntosh or a Kendall Milton, they kind of get that little seam route, that little wheel route, Stetson throws that right down the seam. Or maybe he catches Brock Bowers, right? Is Brock Bowers blocking or is he running a route? You're not really sure. One minute he's blocking you, the next he's pushing off you, and now he's open, and good luck catching him after, the, after he makes the catch. So that is what the Georgia offense is. Todd Munkin can add some wrinkles to it. Okay, but it's not going to be four and five wide run and shoot like you saw JT playing with those air raid principles. That's not Stetson's game. Okay, and that's okay because the personnel is three and four extremely good tight ends. I had one guy tell me, uh, I think Jim Nagy said this this tight end room is better than some of the tight end rooms in the NFL. He's not exaggerating, folks. He's not exaggerating. Okay, so you're going to play to that strength. You're going to play that personnel. That is who and what George is. Um, so. Uh, Kirby's visor said, you know, uh, these kids are young men growing into adult. It happens everywhere, but it seems, and that's a very key word. It seems Athens PD is hard up for the players. Well, let me tell you, it's not okay. Got a neighbor, uh, used to be a, a member of the Athens PD. Good guy, good dude. And, and I called him after the Kenny McIntosh thing. And I said, you know, is it normal for someone to get arrested, um, on a reckless driving charge? I'd actually talked to Kenny's parents that morning. You guys know, i I met Kenny down there. We did a big story, and I went down and met his dad and his mom, and and I still talk to his dad and mom on occasion. Uh, unfortunately, I had to call him. I said, hey, man, this Kenny thing, you know, and they, they were a little upset. You know, we got arrested. for Okay, well, then they found out the other driver was injured, and they and, and then they found out, you know, Kenny wasn't wearing a seatbelt, okay? And the Athens PD said, look, man, you're going 60 and a 40. You're not wearing your seatbelt. You hit another car. That That is the definition of reckless. All right. So it's what you call a custodial arrest. Nobody's getting thrown out of the hood of the car. All right. It's like, look, come with me. Come to the station. This is going to be a procedural deal. All right. Now. So I called my neighbor. I said, well, what? He said, well, it's officer discretion. The seatbelt thing probably really bothers him. We're really serious about the seatbelt law because this saves lives. Get it. He said, look, Mike, there was a time I pulled over a Georgia running back the week of the Florida game. And I didn't I didn't I didn't bring him in. I, you know what I did do, though? I said, you call your parents right now and put it on speaker. He made the player call his parents and tell his parents that he'd gotten pulled over, right? Accountability. So there's times, there's times when the officer has the discretion to let him go. And they have. And did you know any time a Georgia player gets in trouble with the Athens PD, they call Bryant Gant, Kirby's right-hand man. They get a call right away. Right away. They know. Kirby is put on notice. Hey, man, got a guy. Has So do, do, you, do, does your, do you get that opportunity? Does somebody do that? For, so I don't buy into this and I get a little irritated by it. And I'm not saying there's not bad cops out there. Okay. I'm not saying that sometimes football players haven't been on the wrong side of it, but I get a little irritated by the naivety and, and, and excuse me. And I don't mean that in an insulting way, but this, Oh, everybody's out to get our players. That is absolutely not true folks. That is absolutely not true. And, you know, maybe like, again, there's isolated incidents where maybe that's, but there are plenty of incidents when football players get the benefit of the doubt. Plenty of incidents and incidents. And remember, when you're in a college town like Athens, and I was from East Lansing, okay, the police have to be on the ground. You have thousands, 40,000 young people, right? 40,000 young people. Uh, they can create a bit of a racket. They like to stay up late. They got a lot of energy. Their idea of a good time can lead to some pretty crazy stuff happening, right? I'm not saying that it should, oh, well, they're just kids. Okay, well, there's kids, but don't be breaking out, kicking out windows. Not cool. All right. There's people property. This is somebody's business. Somebody can get hurt out here. Right. I'm just saying. So the whole uh, police are out to get us. That's bunk. Don't believe that. 
don't believe that. That's not true. Again, there, I'm sure there's been isolated incidents, but you know, you, you got a football player shooting a pellet gun at, at somebody and hitting two girls and driving off. All right. And then they get caught on camera. So a day and a half later, they trace the car. Okay. That's serious. All right. That's not the police department picking on somebody that's calling them in and saying, look, what are you thinking here, man? Are you, what are you trying to grow up to be? You're shooting gel capsules at people now and driving off when you're in college. Where are you going to be in five years? I mean, what kind of behavior is that? You, you think they should let that go? I certainly don't. And you saw the guy playing in the G-Day game. Didn't cost him that suspension. So I, to me, again, I get a little wound up because I think police officers have a very difficult job, a very difficult job. And I, like my friend told me, sometimes, you know, when you, you pull over a Georgia guy, you know it's going to be a headline. You know somebody's going to look up your name and your badge and people are going to come after. You're just trying to – it's like a referee. You're just trying to do your job, man, right? These guys – I just don't think they get off on on trying to make people's lives miserable. I really don't. And maybe, you know, from, you know, from my perspective, everyone has a different perspective. I don't want to turn this into any other kind of show than football, but I just, I'll just stop right there. I think I've said enough about how I feel about that. Um, What else we got here? Jalen Carter getting drafted. Now, are you kidding me? Jalen Carter getting drafted. Could Georgia maybe have two number one overall picks two years in a row? I'll answer that for you. Yes, they could. Yes, they could. Jalen needs to raise his level up, as Kirby said, be more consistent, wants to see more communication from. I think you're going to see it. I think Jalen Carter is going to be one of the most pivotal players in SEC next season. How he goes will go a long way toward determining the Georgia football season. Here's what I mean by that. I'm not just talking Saturday. I'm talking in the offseason. I'm talking in those individual voluntary workouts. Last year, Jordan Davis was that guy. Right. They love J.D. Everybody talk about J.D. You want to be around J.D. He's charismatic. He's fun. uh, He's dynamic. You know, I'm not saying Jalen Carter's got to be Mr. Personality all of a sudden, but he needs to be a leader and he needs to set the bar high. Okay, because you you, you all play sports. Right. We're all running sprints at the end of practice. You're kind of looking around. You don't want to be last. There's that guy that's kind of got to be the rabbit sets the pace. Everybody's got to keep up with him. Right. You got to have your best players be some of your hardest workers. Those are the best teams. When the best players are the hardest workers, you get your best team because they set an example and people are going to follow their lead. Very important. Let's take a look. Any other questions? Boy, you guys had some great comments in here. I appreciate it. Um, This is good stuff. Uh, Enjoy it. Always enjoy doing it. Uh, (laughs) Okay. James says JT Daniels was not an offensive leader. Okay. Well, Kirby Smart said JT Daniels was the leader of the quarterback room and raised the bar from everyone. Right. And then JT Daniels went out to California and eight other guys went out there to throw the ball. That's leadership. Okay, when you have that sort of a little vacation trip where you're having people go out to this beach house that your family's rented and you can hang out together and you get that camaraderie and you throw the ball. That's leadership. Okay, JT Daniels was the team captain for the Clemson game and he played with a flak jacket on. Right. With injuries. All right. I I just don't know your definition of leadership if you don't think that's it. And then when he was sidelined and ultimately lost his job, what's he doing? He's helping Stetson Bennett out every game. He's his biggest supporter. He's telling him what he's seeing. He's helping him with the reads. Folks, that's leadership. He's a leader. JT was a leader. They loved him. Pickens loved him. Right. Burton loved him. It, it, It was what it was. All right. Again, I'll say it again. The offense changed last year. JT got hurt. Stetson came in and did a good job. And all of a sudden you went from four and five wide receivers to two and three tight ends. And because you couldn't run four and five wide with only seven healthy receivers, 
Blaylock's out. Pickens is out. Burton's injured. McConkey's fresh, you know, redshirt freshman. A.D. Mitchell, he's a freshman. These guys aren't ready to make these reads in the month. Personnel dictates it. Bennett's winning games. JT's being supportive. I mean, that's just how it rolled, right? Kirby had to make some tough decisions. But that doesn't take away from JT's leadership. I think he was a leader then, and I think he leaves here a leader. Who's the first guy to congratulate Stetson Bennett? JT Daniels. Never, never got sideways. I did a story tonight, and I hope that um, you get a chance to read it. And I talk about Kirby Smart being the new king. And, and I know a lot of people have called him King Kirby in the past, you know, tongue-in-cheek, because, you know, Kirby owns Georgia football. But listen, he really is. I, I, and you don't have to agree with everything, right? I, I'll admit, I don't agree with every decision of every coach that I cover. Hey, he's the one making $7 million, right, soon to be making $10 million a year. Right. So he yeah, he's probably a pretty smart guy. Right. But I got opinions, too. I've been watching a long time and uh, it's OK to disagree. But I still think that right now he's the best coach in college football. I mean, you, you can't argue the results. Again, Kirby doesn't get enough credit for what happened last year. He turned his offense around midseason. If you ever seen another offensive championship team that's completely flipped their style of offense in the middle of the year, I have it. I, I can't think of it. You put in Tua for Hurts, Hurts for Tua. They're running the same thing, right? But I've never seen a championship team. Most of them have a quarterback that stays healthy all year, right? And when Trevor Lawrence came in uh, for Kelly, they didn't really change the offense, all right? But who's just flipped the offense completely? Georgia. And then Adam Anderson gets suspended. You lose the best pass rusher in the SEC. You lose a first-round pick. You lose your sacks leader. You lose a team captain, Adam Anderson, gone, distraction. Team's concerned, Adam's going to court, right? And he's gone for the stretch drive. What happens? Defense continues to plug away. The distraction does not derail the Georgia Bulldogs, even though Kirby Smart challenged us. Do you remember this when Kirby, they came out with the first college football playoff rating. And, and I love Kirby. Like I said, I love the banter with Kirby, and I love the way he, he banners with his beat guys. I don't think he realizes just how good he has it. You don't realize how good you got it, Kirby. You got great beat guys out there. Most of the Georgia, most all the Georgia. I, I can't think of any guys that are at press conferences that aren't great. I mean, you know, you got, you know, bloggers, basement bloggers out there, whatever. But the people that are actually in the media core that are at the press conferences, everybody's great. And frankly, you know, I, I can not even see anybody on Twitter that's bad to Georgia. I think Georgia in the media core, you know, and, and the bloggers, I think they're all people. Uh, but, but Kirby told us, you know, when they were number one, when that first playoff, guys, I want you to tell me how many of the teams that were ranked number one when the playoff rankings came out went on to win the national championship. How many? Of course, he'd already done his homework. All right, he already knew the answer. He was setting us up. So we, so don't you get to thinking that we got the, you know, he was letting us know. You know, don't he didn't want that rat poison, right? Don't you get to thinking this old. He was right. He was right. They got knocked under can by Alabama. They got embarrassed. I like that part of the story, but let me tell you why I like that part of the story. Because that was one more opportunity for Georgia football to show you their resiliency. That was one more opportunity for Kirby Smart and this coaching staff to show you how resourceful and how quickly they can adjust. They got humiliated by Alabama. It was 41-24 and the game wasn't that close. And five weeks later, Bama had one touchdown. The Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, the guy who's probably would have been the number one pick, if not the number two pick, Bryce Young, one touchdown. And it came on a 16-yard drive off a fumble. That's all they could do. In five weeks, Georgia turned it around that much. Think about that. That's coaching. That's leadership. 
that's buy-in, that's handling adversity. That is, ladies and gentlemen, the word of the night, resiliency. And that is why Kirby is the king. Resiliency. He is one resilient dude. I'll bring it back full circle. Start of the show. 2018 spring meetings. Kirby's asked, how do you get over losing that game to Alabama on second and 26? How do you get over it? And Kirby says, and I'll never forget it. I'm not going to let that play beat me twice. Went out on the road, nailed the number one recruiting class in the country. And we saw the results of that attitude, of that resiliency, of that insatiable hunger for success payoff for Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs. Let's call it a night. Can't finish any stronger than that. Hit me up on Twitter at Mike Griffith 32. Look forward to seeing your comments. You direct message me. I'll direct message you. Tomorrow night, Connor and coverage. Wednesday night, Centella Intel. And of course, Brandon Adams every day at 10 a.m. Everyone have a wonderful Monday night and a wonderful week.